Hey, Serge, how's it going? Pretty good. Can't complain. Good. Want to start a show? Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fatal Error. Oh, we haven't done that in a while. <laughs> no, it's been a long time. Yeah. We, we've been uh, you know, much less formal. Something that, that you've mentioned on previous episode that I w- was interested in hearing more about was that you were trying to make some change to the standard library, and uh, I think you've mentioned that that ended up not working out, but... Uh, if you want to talk about it, I'd still like to hear about like what you were trying to do and what didn't work out and like what the experience was like and, and what you learned. Yeah, it's kind of an in-progress kind of thing. Okay. Um, I'm just not, I'm not doing great on this project right now, so it's like, well, we're kind of at like a standstill. Essentially what's going on is drop last is a function in the standard library for uh, sequence, right? And I will mm-hmm. send you a link to where it's sort of implemented uh, in the standard library. So you can actually like, pull up the GitHub and look at it. Um, I'll also drop this in the show notes. Okay. Um, and so essentially the way that this works is you have a sequence and let's say you're trying to drop five elements off the end of a sequence. What it does is it puts the first five elements of the array into what it calls a ring buffer. It's not important that it's a ring buffer, but I do want to go into that because it's an interesting optimization. But imagine it just puts it into an array, right? And then after those first five elements, it will kind of DQ one off of the front of the this little buffer, this little array that it has, add it to a new array, and then grab a new element from the sequence and stick it onto the end of the buffer. Okay. And it'll keep doing that until it can't add any more items to the end of this buffer. And that means that the buffer is holding on to, let's say, those five elements that like that we you want to drop. drop. Exactly. And it returns to you the other array that it's like slowly been appending to. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so we were kind of talking about uh, intersperse, which is kind of like it's another function on sequence where if you have like, you know, the numbers one, two, three, four, and you intersperse a zero in between them, you end up with one, zero, two, zero, uh, zero three, zero, four, zero. There's no zero at the end. Sorry. I, I messed that up. But yeah, so, so basically you might want to drop the last element off of that. But then I was trying to make a lazy intersperser and you can't drop last and keep it lazy because drop last like consumes all these elements. So you right. can't like drop last off of infinity, for example. Right. So that was the problem that I set out to solve. I was like, oh, I think I can do better than this. I think I can make a lazy drop last that doesn't greedily consume every element in the sequence to create the new drop last sequence. That's kind of what I was, what I set out to do. Okay. Does that make sense? Have I like explained the problem well? I think so. So that seems like something you could accomplish with a similar design here yes right just not continuing past the like first five elements or the first six i guess elements of the sequence yes if you want to drop the last five right exactly so i can share with you the implementation that i came up with i will also drop this into the show notes okay so what my implementation does is it keeps that same buffer except it like pre-fills it with let's say five elements if you're trying to drop five off the end and then it returns to you a lazy sequence that will give you an element from the front of the buffer and then fill the buffer again. And if it can't fill the buffer, then it will end the lazy sequence. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes sense, yeah. 
so I basically like wrote wrote up the solution. I, the code that's in the gist, you can just drop into a playground and test it out. Um, it seems to work great. It seems to work in every situation that you would expect it to. Everything seemed fine. I put it into a Slack uh, that has some engineers who work at Apple. And one of them said, hey, this is really good. You should PR this. You should make a pull request into the Apple Swift repo and okay. bring this to everybody because it's good is what he said. All right. So I was like, this is great. Like I, I made something that's super useful and that people want to see. And, you know, this is awesome. So I was really excited, but I was like, I've never, you know, downloaded Swift. I've never, you know, um, tried to run the compiler. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I've heard it takes yeah, hours. I have... Like I got to set aside like some time to do this. Right. I'd have no idea where to start on this. And I mean, I'd have to even look up, is, is there a process for like, do you have to go through some process to like pitch something for an addition to the standard library? So because you're not changing semantics and you're not change, you're not adding API or removing API or changing what API means, you don't have to propose anything. You can just open okay. a pull request. Okay. So you were going to figure out how to like how to go through this process of adding something to the standard library right. and then pull requesting it. Exactly. So I like went, I like Googled a bunch of things. I like Googled like who knows how to do this and can just like give me a really short script that I can run that will just do everything for me. And I'm very lucky. I have two computers. Um, I have a desktop computer and I have a laptop computer. So while I was doing my normal work on my desktop computer, I was like able to run this sort of on the side on my laptop, which was really nice. So what I did was, uh, through all my Googling, I found one thing that was really useful, which is um, not going to be a surprise. It's Ole Begeman's blog. And he has this mm -hmm. blog post called How to Read the Swift Standard Library Source. Because a lot of the stuff in the Swift Standard Library is, at, the code is actually generated through GYB, Generate Your Boilerplate. Um, right. You don't necessarily want to read that directly on GitHub. You want to generate it all and then read the generated code. That makes sense. Right. And this is something that in a lot of cases may change now that we have, uh, I, I'm blanking on the term, but... Conditional conformance. Um, right, conditional conformance. Uh, although I assume that GYB will still play some part in the standard library for the foreseeable future. Yeah, my understanding is they dropped a lot of the GYB code, but there's still a decent amount in there. Mm, okay. As they add more features to the standard library, like more GYB code will go away, but you know, I think with the mm -hmm. ultimate goal that GYB will ultimately completely go away. Which is probably why it's just sort of an internal tool. It's not really something that's public right. or is available standalone. Right. So basically, he has uh, some pretty easy instructions uh, for how to install the tools you need, download the source, and compile the source of Swift. So essentially, you need to brew install CMake and Ninja, and then clone the repo, and then there's a, there's a bash script in the repo that you can just run. Cool. Yeah. And so this is, it looks like this uh, post was last updated in October of 2016, but uh, I, I assume that the build process hasn't changed very much in, what, a year and a half? Yeah, fortunately, I, it totally works. I actually forgot to check the date, so I would have been really mad if the code didn't work. Um, but the <laughs> script totally worked, and uh, I was just able to just run it and just have it, have it do its thing. Great. Yeah, so that part of it was pretty easy. It took not too long to, to clone the repo, and set that stuff up. I think it took like under 30 minutes. I want to say it took like 15 or 20 minutes, but this was now a couple of weeks ago, so I don't remember. 
to do the setup part, not to actually right. build. So that right. just sets up the repo to be able to be built. Um, that's the, the, the update checkout um, bash script. So that's only half of the process. Then once you have everything set up, you call the build script, the build script uh, script. That's confusing. The script is called build script. You run it, and then there's some options you can pass. One option that he suggests is dash X, which tells it to build, generate an Xcode project. And then dash R, hmm. which does a release build, which happens to be faster than a debug build. Really? Yeah. That's, um, huh. Yeah. He commented on, cool. on its surprising okay. nature, but he says, yeah, this is surprisingly to me faster than doing a debug build. Still takes about 25 minutes on a quad core i7 from 2013, um, but it's better than the 70 minutes of a debug build. So I was like, all right, I'm doing a release Wow. Build. I'm super curious where that time goes for a debug build. Like, I had been under the impression that, you know, with optimizations and everything, release build would take longer, but right. maybe there's, maybe there's um, like I guess there's, they have to process. Oh, processing, right. I mean, uh, according to this article, the like debug build produces 24 gigs of results Jesus. and the release build tape produces two gigs of results. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense that just anything that deals with 12 times as much data is going to take more time. Yeah, and it's only twice as long, so, you know, it's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, quote unquote only. Yeah. So once that was done, then I need to figure out how to run the tests. And um, fortunately, tests are also simple. It's the same build script, but I think it's like dash T or dash dash test or something. I found that in another blog post. I ran that. So that's good. So now I've got the test running, and it's like, you know, 2,000 tests passed, 70 tests skipped. So far, so good. So then what I did is I broke the current implementation of drop last thinking like, okay, if I make this stop working, how, how does this affect, how does that affect the test? Yeah, like right? Which like, test what should the test I expect failure look like? to break if I break this function? Mm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I did that and set it to run. And then I went to go see uh, shape of water with my girlfriend. And I, okay. <laughs> well, I was like, I don't know how long it's going to take it. We got to go to the movies. So sure. um, great movie. You know, the lady falls in love with the fish. It's great. Um, Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess we need a horn. Do we need a spoiler horn? I mean, I think once a movie has won, uh, what, what award show was yesterday? Oscars. Yeah, once a movie's won Oscar, I think, then then you're allowed to spoil yeah, it. As we record this, the Oscars were last night. Um, yeah, so, yeah. so uh, Shape of Water, she does fall in love with the fish. Uh, I come back and I look at my computer and the tests are stuck at 18%. So they've just been Ooh. running for two and a half hours, and they're just stuck. So I th- Wait, but you said that you, you would run the tests before this, too, yes. right? So clearly... How long did that take? I don't know, 20 minutes. How exactly did you break this test? What I did was, if you look at the implementation, you see how it returns in any sequence of results, which is like the array that it's built up. I just yeah. returned in any sequence of an empty array. Weird, okay. So what it did is because the tests themselves are written in Swift, it broke something somewhere such that the tests couldn't actually complete. <laughs> Which is good in a sense. Like it means that I can effectively break these tests. Right? Like you want to know that there are tests covering the thing that you're that you Yeah. Right? Totally. Like if I change it but- to my implementation and then no test failed, that could mean that my implementation works, but it also could mean there's just no test covering this function right yeah so so now you know that at least something in the test is using this function yes, exactly and okay. will not complete if i don't return the correct result so that's fun right so yeah 
So there's that. So I know that it's failing. So I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to drop in my new implementation. Uh, again, the gist that you can find in the show notes. And let, like, it should just work. Everything should just work perfectly. And I will be done and I can open a PR and then like um, Chris Latner will lift me up on his shoulders and there will be like a ticker tape parade and it will be a whole big thing. Ticker tape parade, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So mm-hmm. I drop in my implementation and I run the tests and four of them fail. But it's not four that huh. are related to drop last. It's just four other tests. One is like, and at this point, you you've reverted your change to drop last. No, no, I've I've added my test to drop last. Like, sorry, I've added. You, my you, change. You've reverted your intentional breakage yes. of drop last, and, and you've added your lazy drop last. I've added my implementation of drop last. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yes. So there's something wrong with my implementation, or there's Swift code that depends on the fact that it's not going to be lazy somehow. And it's mm-hmm. weird stuff that I understand. So there's like two of the files are like sill underscore whatever underscore whatever. Yeah, so sill is the switch intermediate language. Like, that's a compiler internals that I don't know too much about. And and like that's basically where I'm stuck right now. Is I need to dig in and figure out Interesting. what exactly is break. Like what would expect drop last to return a a greedy array? I'm really not sure, but I'm super interested to yeah. check this out. Do you have like a, the, this fork published somewhere where I could pull this down and like try to run these tests for myself? So if you basically drop my implementation into a brand new clone of the Swift thing, you should get the same results. Okay, I mean, but I'm not sure exactly how to do that offhand. But yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess either I'll way, you're going to have to clone a repo and build Swift for sure. Yeah. yeah. So all, all the only change I've made is I've like pasted my function in here. That's all I've done. Just right uh, alongside the drop last implementation or, no, no, or in place, it, it of, place drop last. of the drop last implementation. Yeah, okay. that's right. So I, I could publish a fork. Let me know if you need that. Um, but yeah, you should just be able to paste my thing in and it should just work. Okay. So is this something where, like, is it acceptable from a standard library design standpoint to just replace drop last with a lazy implementation under the hood? Are there other places in the API where, like, some sequence methods are just lazy without you opting into it? The short answer is should be fine. The long answer is it's really complicated. Okay. It's weird because clearly there's some side effect that's happening here and something is depending on the old implementation of drop last, right? Because these four tests are failing. And they're, te- and they're failing reliably. Right. Like I ran it again, same four tests failed, and then I reverted the change and ran it again, and then no test failed. So it's like definitely reliable. Super weird. Yeah. Okay. Part of it is because of any sequence. Um, any sequence is a struct. It's a type eraser for sequence. And so theoretically what it should do is grab a hold of the make iterator function off of any sequence, any particular sequence that you want, and hold on to it. And that function will have closed over, like it's a closure over right. all of the instance variables that it needs from that type. And it's supposed mm-hmm. to just hold on to that. But clearly there's something else going on there. It's very interesting. And then huh. correct answer, um, if I wasn't scared of the Swift standard library and I had thought of this earlier, is I should take my lazy thing, convert it to an array, and then return that wrapped in any sequence to see if I like if I take my lazy implementation and then compute it all up front and then uh, return that. Like is it something in the actual implementation itself or is it the is it an implementation detail 
of the fact that there's an array under the hood. So I need to check that. I'm so puzzled by like how this detail could leak out through here. I have here. no idea. Huh. Yeah. I have no I have no idea. And so it's like, are the tests broken or is my implementation broken? And then, of course, if this is an observable change, then that is actually a breaking change. Because somebody else could be relying on this behavior. Right. Well, I mean, I think like clearly someone else could be relying on this yeah. contain on, on this behavior. But it's like, huh. is it likely that they're relying on it? Like I've got to bring I that mean, up in the pull request, and then it's got to be discussed. Is it is it a bug that whatever yes, implementation that's detail that's leaking out yeah. now is? Yeah. Have you had a chance to discuss this with people who like actually know the standard library? I haven't. I feel like I'm bothering them, which I know is kind of fake, but like they've got shit to do. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. The other side of it is because of a quirk of the way that both of our implementations are defined. Okay, this is like a really dark arts part of the Swiss standard library. Um, okay. okay. So drop last returns a subsequence. Subsequence is, uh, it's, a, it's an associated type of a sequence, right? Remember, sequence is a protocol, so protocols can have associated types. Mm-hmm. The only one that you have to, you have to define each time is... Uh, your your iterator type. The standard library, if you don't assign a custom subsequence, then the standard library will assign one for you, and that subsequence will be any sequence. So far, are you with me? Kind of. Okay, so let's say you're implementing your own sequence. If you just provide an iterator, you're done. Everything else will be handled for right. you. But if you want to customize your subsequence, then and it's not in any sequence anymore, then you stop getting certain default implementations from the standard library, and you have to provide them yourself. Okay. So those methods are drop last, I think prefix while, and something else. Yeah, because, you know, if it's just a subsequence, the the, the standard library doesn't know how to construct your subsequence. Right, because like let's say let's right, say you're talking yeah. about an array, an array subsequence is an array mm-hmm. slice. It doesn't know how to construct that, so you have to bring that implementation yourself. So, are you thinking that there's like that there may be custom sequences somewhere in th- somewhere no in the tests that are breaking? Okay, uh, maybe. What I'm what I'm saying what I'm what I'm trying to get at is the fact that this implementation relies on. Subsequence being in any sequence, my implementation can be changed such that it will return an any sequence for any sequence. That was very confusing. So, any any possible sequence type well, in the standard library, like instead of returning a subsequence for this thing, it could return just a, an any sequence struct. And that's how mine works, or uh, that's how mine could work. So it could actually provide that default implementation for you. Remember, if you change your subsequence, you would lose that implementation. Mine works to fill in that gap, but because that's actually a breaking change because now dropping dropping the last N elements doesn't give you a subsequence anymore. It gives you a totally different type. It gives you always gives you an any sequence. So Hmm. that's like a breaking change itself. So I didn't implement that breaking change. I was just trying to get the implementation working. But I wonder, like, could that possibly affect anything? Huh. It's very, very weird. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to... Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to digest this. Yeah. 
So that's kind of where I am. I have a little bit more playing around to do until I figure it out. If anybody, this is just this is a Patreon episode, so it's it's about 100, 150 of y'all, our favorite listeners. If any of you have done anything like this, hit me up. I would love to hear your your tips and stuff. It's real weird. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. The last thing I want to talk about is this ring buffer. Oh, yeah. 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 You mentioned that you wanted to talk about this. Yeah. It's a pretty cool concept that I haven't really used in practice. Like, I can conceive of it, but I haven't really used it in practice. So, uh, while I was working on this stuff, I did manage to ask um, some Swift team members some questions. This is before I started working on the repo itself, while I was still working with the um, just the code and trying to like make my own implementation. Swift's array is backed by a contiguous array, right? Which means that it starts somewhere in memory, and then the end of it is completely reachable and unbroken from that start. Right? Moment, right? Makes sense. With NS mutable array back in the day. Uh, if you're working in Objective C, what it does is it actually lets you, like, it, it, it let's say it buffers ten spots, and your array is on um, your array is maybe five elements, but you have a space, you know, you have a capacity of ten spots before it needs to reallocate space. So far, so good. Yeah, yeah. What it'll actually do is it'll start your array maybe on um, maybe in offset five in that 10 element uh, capacity. So what can happen then is if you prepend something to the array, it'll put it in offset four. And if you drop something off the front, it'll drop off like offset five. And then you could also, so you yeah. can add and remove from both the beginning and the end without having to shift all the elements over. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, and then if you hit the last element in the buffer in the in the capacity space, it'll roll back over to the zeroth element. Mm-hmm. So th- does that make sense? Yeah, seeing it, are you seeing it in your mind's eye? So that's really cool. Which means you never have to reallocate space for the elements of the array and then copy them over, unless you completely run out of space. Like you can never like otherwise. If you implemented it kind of naively and you put element zero in offset zero in the memory space, then if you dropped one element off, you would have to shift every element over to fill that space. So NS mutable array rolls around itself like that. Uh, array in Swift does not. Array in Swift is a contiguous array that where, where element in index zero starts at offset zero of memory and it goes straight through to the end and it never has any breaks. It's contiguous. It's much more of like a traditional array, like you think yeah. of it from C or from any other. Yeah, exactly. The problem and the benefit of it is apparently there's certain optimizations that you can add, and then like the branch predictor can predict which memory address you're going to get next because it knows where it's going. Um, and there's other things you can add that are other optimizations that make contiguous array faster. Um, I assume there's like vectorization. There's a bunch of other weird things I don't really know that much about, but. The idea is just that if you have a contiguous array, it's faster. So uh, Swift opted for a contiguous array. Now, in both this impl- implementation that's currently in the standard library for Droplast and the one that I wrote, rely on something called a ring buffer. A ring buffer acts more like the NS mutable array where it rolls around itself. So that way, like right now, if you have an array and you remove one element off the front, it has to shift everything all the way over because it has to stay contiguous and starting at zero. Right. But with this ring buffer, what ends up happening is 
you basically, let's say you're dropping five elements off the end, it'll fill those five elements. And then when you, let's say you want to DQ off of that, it'll give you the zeroth element of that ring buffer. And then the next element coming in, which would be the sixth element, fills in the space of that zeroth element. And there's a piece of state to keep track of, okay, I just did that one. Now I'm going to look at index one, which is the second element or whatever. Right. And so that ring buffer is a really interesting concept because it means that it's this little optimization that they wrote in here so that Swift's contiguous array doesn't mean you're continually shifting every element every time you like run through this, run through the sequence. Right. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's a it's a neat little um yeah. it's a useful little concept. Yeah, and then there's a um radar here and it says is and you can see this um, little comment in the code if you click on the like Swift standard library. Oh, code. Yeah. It says create a reusable ring buffer generic over T, uh put elements in this sequence, uh put elements from the sequence in a holding tank, a ring buffer of size less than or equal to N. If elements keep coming in, Pull them out of the holding tank into the result, an array. This saves n time size of element in array because slices keep the entire memory of uh, an array alive. Right. I mean, I think that's explaining how the drop last function here works, right? Right. I guess it's two separate comments here. One comment is create the yeah. reasonable bu- ring buffer, and then the other comment is like how it works. But yeah. Yeah. So I think what you're leading up to is there's a, a little to do item in this code to like extract this this uh, concept into something that's reusable, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. And that could also be like a really nice starter bug or whatever. If I were a little bit more capable in this percentile library, that might be something I would do. Is totally yeah because you could define this type, expose it publicly, or not, you know, um, and then mm-hmm. allow this function. And there's like two other functions that use a ring buffer that that are linked with this radar, and um, allow them all to, oh, cool. to kind of uh, use this ring buffer abstraction so that you don't have to manually keep track of the indexes yourself. Right, because as I mean, we all know that like manually keeping track of indexes and stuff. Like once you get it right, that's fine, but it's you yeah, know it's it's, it's more error prone. Yeah. It, it's not the main thing that drop last is res- like should be responsible exactly. for, right? And if it's a reasonable thing, it's a reasonable thing, and we can maybe even make it public, and yeah, all good. Yeah. So I'm always like, kind of, hey, every time I like the we we hear like about a starter bug or starter project in the context of like the Swift compiler, Swift standard library, I, I was just kind of like chuckle a little bit internally because like, okay, maybe starter. For like someone who's like interested in in compiler standard libraries and stuff, but like I would have a lot of trouble coming in and you know starting to work on most on most anything that isn't marked as a starter bug or like starter improvement. Yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned that you uh, like you don't think you could dive in right now to this starter like create reusable ring buffer. Like I mm, yeah. I mean I I could I think this one because it's at the Swift level. If it was something at the C level, I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. 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 So if I can get this thing to work and I can figure out why these tests are failing and I can submit this PR, then I think I'd feel confident enough to go in and say, all right, like I, I'm going to try this like ring buffer thing, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, but it, and then the one other thing I want to add is uh, our friend Caleb, uh, who is a host of Runtime, um, which was an, which was a show that's that's sadly now over. Did this? He found a starter bug, and he went in and like edited C compiled it, run it, added tests, all that stuff, and like solved the bug and like 
pull request it, and I think it's in there now. I think so. Cool. So they did an episode about that. I'm going to try to track down that episode and put yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. I remember. I remember listening to that episode at the time. Yeah, pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. So it's tough. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try to try to get something done, but it's it's I don't know. It's it's a it's the biggest code base I've ever worked on by far. Like it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. yeah. Well, it sounds like a fun challenge. I will. Uh, I, I'm going to clone the the try to get the standard library building yeah. here and maybe see if I can at least reproduce the problem you're running into. I will say building the standard library was less hard than I expected. Okay, yeah. well that's good to know. So I would say, don't worry about that part. But like, it's kind of inscrutable. Like, what changes do you make and what side effects they have? Like, I would not have expected my change to have side effects, and here we are. Yeah. yeah, and here we are. So, so yeah, I, I, I talking through this and like kind of using you as a rubber duck. I have some new ideas for how to debug this thing. Um, oh, cool! So I'll That's try good. those and see if they can give me any fresh data. But yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have a follow up episode where um, you figured out what's going on and and gotten things working. Yeah, that's the dream. That's the dream. Yeah, cool. Uh, I guess that about wraps it up for this episode. Yeah, I think so. It's been half an hour already somehow. So, uh, we can talk I, for I half think an hour about it. anything. I guess we can. Story, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. Cool. I will talk to you next week, Chris. Yeah, have a good night, Sarish. Bye.